Well, today we're doing something a little bit different. I've titled today's message, You Don't Have to Be a Chef to Cook. And I am going to prove this by actually cooking, okay? Even though I am not a chef. I do not appreciate that comment. (laughs) By the way, I almost forgot the lesson that I learned in the first service, that I needed to turn my cooking services, uh, cooking uh, surfaces on earlier. So let me get that going. Okay. So I'm going to prove that you can cook without being a chef. But before I do that, uh, I'm going to ask my wife to verify for you that I have never received any professional training in the culinary arts. Now, I know how you all view me here. You view me as something of a Renaissance man. And so, and so I was concerned that you may think I secretly was a professional chef. I just never let you in on that. So I, I'm asking Michelle to verify for you that I've never received any professional training. Michelle, is this true? <laughs> I'm not even close to having any professional training. Uh, It goes even beyond that. Not only have I had no professional training, I've had no informal training. And and I would like my mother to verify for you that as I was growing up, she did not spend three minutes teaching me anything in the kitchen. Is this true, mother? (laughs) That is absolutely uh, true. So I have no professional training. I have no informal training. But I can cook and I will cook. Now, I would never suggest that I'm a threat to our local chefs here in the church, okay? Uh, Stephanie Vandenberg uh, and Jurgen Molinar have nothing to worry about. I'm, I'm no threat uh, to them. But, but I can cook. At least I can make some food that I think an objective person uh, would find somewhat uh, edible and, and, uh, and acceptable. And so... Yep, I waited too long again. And so, uh, without any further ado, I am going to cook for you. Now, I know how concerned you all are with proper food handling practices, so I'm going to put my little gloves on here. I promise my hands are clean. I don't need these, uh, but just to make you more comfortable, I will, I will put these on. I know I appreciate it when they wear these at Taco Bell. We're going to have a little music in the background in case that I kind of uh, stumble around here and don't have a whole lot to say for a few minutes. But let's uh, let's see what I can come up with for you. Uh, I will give an opportunity for willing people to eat it. We're not going to force anyone to eat it. So if you don't like the looks of what I put together, you will be safe. All right, let me get my supplies out here. All right. Oops, I'm dropping stuff everywhere, just like last time. Didn't learn a thing. All right, the first thing I'm going to start with is grilled cheese, okay? If you're not a chef, grilled cheese is a pretty easy place to start. How many of you know this? All right. Now, before I do that, I'm going to put some ham out here. This is not for the grilled cheese. This will come in use in a little bit. Oh, that's going to be good here in a minute. Oh, there's something I almost forgot. 
All right. So, I'm going to make grilled cheese. First thing you got to do is butter your bread, right? Am I doing it right? Okay. Butter the bread. I'm going to get them all buttered. I learned that in the last service, too. Butter them all before you start. Very appropriate music for my grilled cheese sandwich. Okay, I'm going to make two of them. Okay, this is going to be awesome. All right, I think this is pretty good. I think I can set that aside. Okay, now this feels like it's going to be too hot, but we'll just see. All right, now I have to ask you guys, do you prefer your grilled cheese with like nice thick slices or do you like the the packaged slices for your grilled cheese? Packaged? How many say packaged? How many say this? All right, we'll go with the packaged. Oh, okay. I'll go with the other. They'll be easier anyway, I think. Maybe. All right. There's no other service, so I don't have to worry about keeping this stuff together for the next time this this time around. Okay. So here's what we're going to do on this first one. Put that down there. A couple pieces of cheese. Now, something you all may not have thought of but it's really good. Check the ham. It's fine. All right, so what we're gonna do with this grilled cheese, we're gonna put some crumbled up potato chips on it. Okay. No, I think that's gonna be delightful. Thank you, Tom and Chi. All right. Perfect. Relax, I know what I'm doing. Isn't it obvious? It's not obvious, I'm told. All right, so there's that one. We'll get that one going. Now, the other one, put that on there. We're gonna do mozzarella on that one. Is that good, everybody like mozzarella? All right, a couple pieces of mozzarella on there. How about a tomato on there, would that be good? I saw somebody make a face. All right, got that tomato on there. Couple more pieces. Hopefully this over here is warming up. All right. Now, hey. All right. All right. Now, everybody look away. Look what, close your eyes. It's almost burnt. Woohoo! <laughs> Too hot this time. Okay, these are going to work. I can turn this down just a little bit, I think. All right, so we'll give those a second. This should be heating up here. All right. Let's see, a little butter in there. All right. Yeah, it's much hotter than the last time when this didn't work. Got my egg egg mixture. 
For those of you uninformed, it's eggs, a little bit of milk, and whip it up. Delightful. All right. How are we doing over here? Let's see. Yep, turn that down. All right, let's see here. What do I want to do? Now, with an omelet, the secret to a good omelet, lots of pepper. Who agrees? Lots of salt. And pepper. All right. Let's see here. Now, something that you really may not have seen. Excellent little secret I learned on grilled cheese. You sprinkle some shredded grilled cheese, shredded cheese on the top. Okay. Okay. Let that burn in there a little bit. That's going to be delightful. Okay. Oops, now my eggs are burning. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's This is the first time I've ever used this pan. It seems to be defective. This isn't working right. So we'll give that another minute. Those may end up pretty dark, but that'll be okay. All right. Ooh, that one is going to be good. Whoever gets that one is going to be happy. All right. This is starting to work a little bit better here. For the record, this is taking much longer than I planned. But uh, now here's the tricky part that I've never mastered. So if it doesn't work, they'll just become scrambled eggs. Okay. But you know you're not nope. dreaming, senor. That's close enough. All right. So now, let that go there. Let's see here. Turn this down. I got that down. Where'd my cheese go? So, Dad, how am I doing? Is this how you would do it? Okay. That's what I thought. So a lot of cheese there, okay, and then get our, try to get our, um, how am I going to do this without burning myself, okay, get our ham, oh, this is going to be so good, bam, Bam. All right. Oh, this is good stuff. All right. I think we're about ready to serve. Then it'll take me 20 minutes to clean up in such a way that I'm willing to stand here behind all of this stuff. Yep, that's going to be really good, just like that. Okay, now what I will do is I will plate the food. All right. 
Who would like to try the mozzarella and tomato? Nobody? Deb, why don't you come on up? Mr. Tress, you guys can come over here. I'll try it if I can be honest. We want honesty, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I also right here have some um, tomato soup. And the way to make tomato soup really good is to dump a lot of cheese in it. So there you go. Really, it's the secret to everything. It's cheese. Okay. So sadly, I do not have enough bowls for both of you, so you'll just have to eat out of the same bowl. No, I'm joking. One of you can have tomato soup with your sandwich. How is it? Is it delightful? He loves it. I say dull. He loves it. She says it's dull. Thank you for your honesty. And there's nothing like a little bit of a burnt knife on your uh, cooking surface here. Burnt plastic is always good for the meal. It did not touch the sandwich, I promise you. But even if it did, I mean, really, is that that big a deal? I don't think so. All right. So, this one is extremely gooey. And whoever gets this one can have the whole thing. If you, No, let's go with two people. Who... You just have to share. So people that are willing to eat off the same plate, Braden and John, why don't you come on up here? Do you guys want tomato soup? No, no tomato soup. All right. Now here, here's the grand prize in my opinion. Because omelets actually are my specialty. Who would like to try my omelet? Stephanie Vandenberg. I, I don't know. That might be a mistake, letting her come and try it. Okay, Stephanie, there you go. You can help yourself to a fork there. Who else would like to try my omelet? Anna, you want to try my omelet? There you go. Help yourself to a fork. All right. Kevin liked his. Thank you, Kevin. Now, here's what you can do if all of this is a little bit beyond you, okay? Hopefully it's not. But, but if it is, there is another option if you're not a professional chef. They make these meals that you can cook in a microwave. The sad thing is, the illustration stops here because I've never known how to set the time on this microwave. So it's actually not going to cook to the desired temperature. But you get the idea. If you really are desperate, but you need food, you can cook in the microwave. Okay, so we're about to wrap up this little illustration. John, complete honesty. How is it? He noticed the chips are barbecue chips, so he likes that. So we'll take that as it's all good. Uh, Braden, how was it? Great. Great. That is awesome. So you've already said doll, so I don't want to hear anything else from you. Sprinkle it with hot sauce, she said. Okay. That would jazz it up? Yeah. Okay. Stephanie, how's the omelet? It's perfect. Perfect omelet. 
Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now give me just a minute to clean up my workspace. I am a little OCD, so this is uh, going to be hard to stand here now the rest of the service. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Y'all good, John? Okay. All right. Very good. I'm sorry I didn't have enough for all of you, but that would have taken too much time. So, all right. So, I have proven that you do not have to be a chef to cook. I am not a professional chef. You do not have to be a professional chef to cook. Let me make sure all my stuff's off here. Yes. What are some other things you don't have to be professional at? Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Give everybody a hand that was willing to eat my food. So here are some other things you don't have to be professional to do. You don't have to be an NBA player to play basketball. Okay? Um, This is a little awkward. Don't look. Realize I had gum in my mouth. It's hard to <laughs> preach with gum in your mouth. Okay. Are we all okay? All right. So you don't have to be an NBA player to play professional basketball. You don't have to be a clothing designer to sew. You don't have to be a professional IT person to set up or use a computer. In fact, wouldn't we consider somebody kind of odd if they thought that you had to be professional to, to do any of those kind of things. I, I mean, imagine that you come home for dinner and, and whoever the primary cook in your house is was supposed to have dinner ready and you get home and there's no dinner. And, and so you question this. You say, hey, I thought, I thought we were having dinner. Why, why isn't there anything ready? And the answer would come to you. Well, I've decided I can't cook anymore because I'm not a professional chef. When you just think, well, that's really like weird. You don't have to be a professional chef to cook. Imagine inviting a friend to go play basketball. And the answer came back, well, I can't play basketball. I'm not an NBA player. Well, you don't have to be an NBA player. Imagine someone taking a brand new Macintosh computer out of the box and saying, I need a professional to set this up for me. You know, it's one chord, right? You just plug it in. You just plug it in. Actually... That one kind of happens every time my dad buys a computer. You're not even sure if you're allowed to laugh at that, are you? <laughs> Full disclosure, I have to ask for a lot of computer help as well. So just, just joking around there, Dad. He does need help, though, when he buys a computer. That is true. So we all know you don't have to be a professional chef to cook. You don't have to be an NBA player to play basketball. You don't have to be a clothing designer to sew. And here's something else we we should know, but we often act as though we don't know. You don't have to be an evangelist to share your faith. You just don't. You don't have to be an evangelist to participate in evangelism. In fact, the word evangelist is only found two places in the entire Bible. Aren't you glad I spit after I prepared the food? Acts 21.8 refers to Philip 
as an evangelist. He seemed to to have a specific role of an evangelist. And then Ephesians 4.11 refers to the spiritual gift of evangelism that is given to a relatively few number of people compared to the entire body of Christ. But while the specific gifting or the specific role or office, if you will, of evangelist uh, appears only twice in the Bible, the call to spread the good news of Jesus Christ is throughout the New Testament. The Great Commission passages of Matthew 28 and Mark 16 make it clear that we are to be about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 refers to us as Christ ambassadors, making it clear that we're to be about spreading his, uh, his work and his news in the world. 1 Peter 3.15 encourages us to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. It further makes this point. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells us that uh, his followers, that we're to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world, which is what we're about. The example of the New Testament believers lets us know that we are to be spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. This isn't something for just a select few. This is something for everyone who believes in Jesus. And so here's the truth. You don't have to have the spiritual gift of evangelism to bear witness to Christ, to share your faith, to share the good news. Every single Christian is called to share their faith. Every single Christian can share their faith. Every single Christian has a responsibility and ought to be doing it. You don't have to be an evangelist to share your faith. When it comes to evangelism, we should be more like we are with cooking, playing basketball, sewing, working on computers. We need to understand in evangelism what we do in every other area of life. You don't have to be professional. In fact, you don't even have to be especially gifted at something to participate in it. But somehow we convince ourselves that we're never ready to share our faith. We convince ourselves that we're never trained enough, never competent enough. J. Max Stiles, in his book that's simply titled Evangelism, writes this, I, for one, will take people practicing evangelism as best they can over those who forego evangelism until they have the perfect practice. And I say a big amen to that. And so what we're going to do for the next few minutes, we're going to consider some ways that we can start practicing evangelism right now as best we can, rejecting the notion that we have to perfect our plan before we can do anything in evangelism. Here's the first suggestion. When I want to cook something, but I'm not a chef, so I don't know how to cook anything, what I do, and what I'm sure many of you do, is you find a recipe that someone else created. Because while I'm not a chef, I can follow a recipe. And in the year 2016, here's how I find recipes. I do not go to a bookstore and buy a $25 book of recipes. I don't do that. Here's how I find recipes. I Google them. I Google 
unique grilled cheese sandwiches. And then I look about the first 10, and I figure out which ones I like the best. I Google lasagna, and and a recipe comes up, and then I follow the recipe. Michelle, did I make a fantastic lasagna for you on one of your birthdays? Yes. Yes, thank you. I'm not a chef, but I can follow a recipe. And and, and so I don't need a special class or anything. I just do what the instructions say. And you can do this with sharing your faith. You don't need to have a special class or anything, even though we're going to offer those. Here is advice you were not expecting when you came to church today, but it's good advice. You can Google how to share my faith in Christ, or how to tell others about Jesus, and some really good information will come up. You know why? Because even though we kind of forget sometimes and we assume that Google itself is supplying us all this information, Google is not actually the content creator of the information. They just find the information and send it to us. And so I Googled one of those this week. I forget, forget which one it was. And the first two things that came up, one was an article from Christianity Today, and another was an article on evangelism from Billy Graham. And so, yes, you can find bad information by Googling anything, but you can find some really good information. And so Google this, look at the first 10, 12 things that come up, figure out the ones that look doable to you and start doing them. If Googling it is too unspiritual for you, you say, you know, this just doesn't feel right, figuring out evangelism from Google. If, if you don't like that, then go get a book. And actually that is the better option because it's more in-depth, more thorough, gives you more information. And so I want to recommend a few books to you today. All of these take different approaches. They share different things. Uh, but they all, like there's not one of them that's bad. You could choose any one of these books and start practicing what it says and you would be doing a good job. Now, if you're interested in these, write it down in your uh, bulletin. There's a blank outline. I put all my effort into this, so I couldn't give you an outline this week. Uh, but, but you do have some paper there to write things down. So here's one. I mentioned this one already. Evangelism by J. Mack Stiles. Good book on evangelism. Here's one I picked up this week. I haven't read it all, but I've perused it. It has some really good stuff in it. Tell someone. You can share the good news by Greg Laurie. I don't see many of you writing. Here you go. <laughs> Uh, Do we need pens? Does anybody need a pen? Uh, Share Jesus Without Fear. Andrew Lang preached an excellent message on evangelism several years ago. Uh, Used some information from this book, and then we passed this book around to a lot of our congregation. And and then uh, we need refresh. Let's just say it that way. We need refresh. So this is a great book, and uh, you can get that one. Uh, Here's a classic, over a million copies in print. Paul Little's How to Give Away Your Faith. How to Give Away Your Faith by Paul Little. Great book. And then Bill Hybels, uh, Becoming a Contagious Christian. You could not go wrong with any of these five books. Get any one of them, read through it, and start putting into practice some of the things that you uh, have read. So if you were to read these books, or if you were to look at a number of articles on sharing your faith from Google... There are two 
methods, two approaches to evangelism that you would be almost certain to see in many of the sources that you would look at, and I want to share those with you today. So two approaches uh, that are easy and doable for all of us. Here's the first one, invitational evangelism. It's as simple as it sounds, and we've been talking about it quite a bit this year. It is simply inviting people to church. Depending on where you get your information, the experts will tell you that somewhere between, between 10 and 25% of people that you invite to church will accept your invitation. And, and so if you invite 12 people to church this year, one, two, or three of those people will actually come to church with you. We see an example of invitational evangelism in John 4. We're not going to take time to turn there today, but I would encourage you to read it. It is the story of Jesus and his conversation with the woman at the well. And if you're familiar with that story, you know that after Jesus conversed with her, she ran off, she told her friends about Jesus, and she brought her friends back to meet Jesus. She invited them to come and meet Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that you inviting someone to church is exactly the same as her inviting people to see Jesus that day, but the principle uh, applies because what is the message of our church? It is Jesus. Jesus is the only answer that the church, this church included, has to provide the world. We introduce people to Jesus here. And so the principle holds, come and see, come and hear about Jesus. Invitational evangelism is biblical, it is effective, and it's actually pretty easy. And all of us can and should be practicing this right now. There is nothing to perfect. Just start inviting and we're going to help you in some different ways. We're going to have some special Sundays where we do invitational events that'll make it easier to invite folks. And we're going to get some invitation cards. We, we always do this on special occasions, but we're going to have some that are just available all the time, not, not for any special occasion. So we're going to do some things to help, but no special training is needed. No special tools are needed. Just start inviting people. And here's the second form of evangelism each and every one of us can do. We can put a little bit of effort into preparing to share our story with other people. Our story of Jesus' work in our lives. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. And the religious leaders of the day, you would have thought that they would have been very happy about this but they weren't, and so they launched an investigation. Uh, they, they were trying to prove that Jesus had done things wrong and he really wasn't from God, and so this was all very invalid. They tried to convince the man who had been healed that Jesus was not from God and that Jesus was a sinner. And after all of their investigation and all of their accusations, the man who had been born blind but had been healed by Jesus was given, was given the forum to, to respond to what they had said and the evidence that they had presented. And here's what he said. It's a, it's a great line. He said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I was blind and now I see. What do you do with someone like that? You can't convince them Jesus is a bad guy. Jesus 
healed him, gave him sight. They couldn't, they couldn't stand against this man's personal testimony of what Jesus had done in his life. Listen, all of us can simply tell our story. We share our faith by simply telling the story of how Jesus Christ impacted our lives. We all can do it. It doesn't take a lot of effort. And Greg Laurie in the book that I just referenced, Tell Someone, points out that all of our stories have the same structure. All of our stories have the same outline. If you know Jesus Christ, here is the outline of your story. You were in rebellion against God because of your sin. My story is the same. You heard the gospel. Me too. You believed in Jesus and repented. I did as well. God forgave your sins and gave you peace and purpose. Me too. Now, instead of going to hell, you're going to heaven. Me too. That's your story. That is the outline of your story. Every single one of us, that's the outline of our story. Now, all you have to do is put your personal details into that outline and look for opportunities to share your faith. And here's the truth. You can actually uh, simplify the outline of all of our stories even more than that. Here is an outline that all of us have in common if we uh, believe in Jesus. Point number one, what my life used to be like before Jesus. Point number two, Jesus came into my life. Point number three, what my life has been like since Jesus came in. That's the outline. Now just put in your details. I was filled with fear. Jesus came into my life. Now I have peace. I was addicted to alcohol. Jesus came into my life. I haven't had a drink in 10 years. I used to mistreat my spouse. Jesus came into my life. Now I'm a halfway decent spouse. Don't embellish the story. <laughs> Whatever your story is, insert your own details and then look for opportunities to simply share the story. Your hairstylist says, so tell me about yourself. I hope hairstylists still do this. My 12-year-old son Austin reported to me that the last time he got his hair cut, uh, the hairstylist did not talk to him at all. And, and so as we were leaving, he said, Dad, when did, when did uh, people who cut hair stop asking kids about school and stuff? And I said, they didn't ask you? And he said, no, none of them have asked me that in about two years. Well, that's actually a pretty sad indictment on somebody, something. Um, but hopefully it's an anomaly. Two years of anomaly. <laughs> so hopefully your hairstylist might be more friendly. And so, so they say, so tell me about yourself. And now you have an opportunity. If Jesus is as important as we say he is in our lives we ought to be able to talk about him pretty comfortably. And so you can say something like, well, you, you know, since you ask, I used to be kind of a rotten person. I didn't care about anybody but myself. For some reason, I'm not even sure why, I started reading the Bible. Eventually I came to believe in Jesus and now I'm certainly not perfect, but God is helping me to live a much better life. I actually care about people other than myself. Are you a person of faith? And if they turn red in the face and run away and make somebody else cut your hair, then you know the conversation's over. 
But they might say, no, I'm not, but I have been starting to consider faith. Or they might say, yes, I am, but, you know, I haven't really been walking with the Lord for a while. And then you have an opportunity. Maybe your coworker asks, so what have been some of the greatest influences in your life? And you could say, well, I can't really answer that question without talking about my faith. Are you okay with that? And if they say yes, then you have an open door. You can say, before I became a Christian, I felt really aimless. I lacked motivation. I started reading the Bible. I discovered that God had created me for a purpose. I gave my life to him, and now my life has a lot of meaning. Uh, I'm a different person than I used to be. I find meaning in even the simplest, most mundane aspects of life. Whatever your story is, you just, you just prepare yourself to share it comfortably, naturally. And so these are two simple approaches that all of us can do. Invite people to church and have a simple explanation of your own story with Jesus that you can easily, comfortably, and naturally share with people. Uh, my eyesight has gone so bad I can no longer see the clock. Is it actually getting close to noon? Yes. Okay. Well, thankfully for you, I only have about eight more pages to go. <laughs> That's not true. We are almost done. So, so these are two simple approaches. Um, and, and you don't need any instruction to do, to do either of these things. You don't have to take a class. Though I'm happy that nearly, uh, well, not nearly, exactly 11 people are signed up to take our evangelism class that starts next week. You don't have to beg God for three weeks to show you how to share your faith. You can just start inviting people to church and telling them your story when given the opportunity to do so. Let me quickly share two more simple evangelism strategies that you can use. One, you can simply offer to pray for people and see how they respond and then really pray for them. My friend Tom Paquette, who pastors the Grove City Vineyard uh, several years ago, and in fact, I, I, I am so... Um, uh, sorry to report to you, I've probably only done this once or twice since he, uh, since he did this, and I saw him do it, and I'm committing today to do it more. Uh, but, but we were at a restaurant together, and our server was about to you know, say goodbye for the day. She was done with us. And, and so Tom just said, hey, you know, before you go, uh, Brian and I are Christians, and a little bit later we're going to be praying. Is there anything that we could pray for you about? And I thought that she was going to, you know, recoil in terror and run shrieking into the back of the kitchen. And, and she did none of that stuff. She did look stunned, but in a good way. And she said, are you being serious right now? And he said, yes, I'm being serious. And she started to just pour out her heart, all the things that were going wrong in her life. And we committed to pray for her, and we did. Tom then went back to the restaurant a couple more times. He eventually invited her to church. She came to church and she got saved. And then she told her mom what had happened, brought her to church, and her mom got saved. All because someone said, can I pray for you? Don't pray for them right then and there if they're a server, okay? They're busy. They're busy. When I was a server at Perkins Restaurant in the late 80s, while I was in high school, uh, one of the waitresses knew I was a Christian, and she came back to the back one time, and she was so frustrated because 
Uh, a Christian had seen that she was very hassled in her job that day and had grabbed her arm and insisted on praying for her right there in the restaurant. And it was a very long prayer. And she came back and she said, it was a nice thought, but I'm busy. You just made my job harder on me. So pray later, but pray. Here's another thing you can do. And it goes along with what we've already talked about in sharing our story. Just throw out some bait and see if anybody bites. I mean, Jesus did say we were to be fishers of men, right? And what do you do when you fish? You throw out some bait. You see if the fish are biting. And and so you can just mention things in casual conversation. Mention a helpful passage of scripture you recently read. Comment on how often you find the Bible to be helpful in practical matters. See if people bite. If they don't bite, no problem. But if they do, then you have yourself a conversation. They ask a question based on you're throwing out the bait. Then you have created an opening. So let me wrap this up with five quick considerations. Let me quickly wrap this up with five considerations regarding uh, sharing our faith uh, that we need to keep in mind. Here's the first one. We need Christians to have more non-Christian friends. This is a big problem for Christians. We become insulated within the church. So we need to have more non-Christian friends. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. We cannot reach people who are far from God if we never interact with anybody who is far from God. And so we need to intentionally cultivate relationships with non-Christians. Secondly, we have to make sure that anytime we share our faith, we do so understanding that we are simply beggars telling other beggars where there's some food. We are not superior to anyone. We share our faith humbly. Third, we should be continually praying about the salvation of lost people, especially the lost people in our circle of influence. Number four, we should recognize that how we live our lives in front of our watching friends and family members will either undermine or support our witness. And so we should live consistent with our faith. We should live consistent with our faith. Listen, Christian, we we walk this fine line of admitting that we are sinners. We are beggars that just happen to find some food. We, we share the gospel humbly. This is true. But here's another truth of being a Christian and sharing your faith. You really need to live an exemplary life so that anybody cares about your life. So that somebody every once in a while asks, why are they different? So that when you go public with your profession of faith, people say, Yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of what I expected of a Christian. So we have to be careful about how we conduct ourselves around people. Can I just tell you one that's kind of been on my heart lately? Christians don't talk like sailors. And some of you need to hear that. Christians don't talk like sailors. I 
Everything was so, so warm and positive. <laughs> Look, whatever you think about the rightness or wrongness of some of the loose language that we may use, the fact is that a whole high percentage of non-Christian people kind of have the idea, even in our day and age, where things have slid to a ridiculous extreme, they still kind of have an idea of what Christians are and aren't supposed to be doing. And that's one of them. And so I would encourage us to watch our speech. It's not good for Christians to be crass. Let's forget whether something's a sin or not. How about we just commit to not be crass? All right, I didn't plan to say that, so I don't know where else to take it. But uh, there you go. There you go. Here's the final thing I want to share with you. We have to realize that we're responsible for sowing the seed. We are not responsible for the fruit. And so we have to remember that though the seed we sow may not grow immediately, that doesn't mean it won't eventually grow. Current rejection does not equal permanent rejection. Greg Laurie, who wrote the book Tell Someone, tells of his days as a beach bum in California. And all the beach preachers would come by and they would hand him gospel tracts. And he hated these people. He despised these people. But here's what he said in the book. He said, while I hated them and despised them, I never once threw away one of their tracks. He collected their tracks. And he said every once in a while, he would spread all the tracks out on his bed. And he would try to make sense of them. And eventually, God got through to him. Today, he's saved and he's telling other people about Jesus. He's writing books on evangelism in part because someone handed him a gospel track and he thought they were goofy for doing it. You don't have to be a chef to cook. You don't have to be an evangelist to share your faith. So let's stop waiting. Let's stop convincing ourselves that we, we have to perfect our approach or we have to perfect ourselves and let's commit together to start sharing our faith. Let's stand.